Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. I'm going to be in the book of 1 Peter today. 1 Peter, it's all the way, it's like almost at the end of a Bible. Short book, 1 Peter chapter 2 is where I'm going to be. While you're getting there, if you're opening a paper Bible, we'll have it on the screens as well. But while we're getting there, I want to ask in the room or even online, how many of you really look forward to someone that you don't know coming up to you and you just know they're going to make an introduction? How many of you like that? Raise your hand. Four, seven of us like that. Stranger comes up. And inevitably, I I, I meet quite a few people here at church and around the community. Uh, Inevitably, the first question they ask is really simple. What's your name? What's your name? Right? That's the simple one. But it's that awkward second question. What are they going to ask next? Isn't it? And, And I've met enough people that I've sort of put folks in these group. these are just Steve groups, don't, like, this isn't scientific at all, but as I meet people, I sort of think of these three, it's the standard group. They ask the standard questions. So what's the standard second question when you meet someone? What do you do for a living? Where do you work? Now, if you have a really awesome job with a cool title, That's a great second question, isn't it? Some of you know that uh, long ago, I was a radio DJ. That is a great, like I looked forward to that second question. I didn't look forward to the third question, which was, hey, what channel or what station are you on? And I had to tell him, well, I was on the AM. (laughs) Now, for some of you in the room, you don't even know what the AM is. Just check with me later, and I'll (laughs) fill that in, right? If you're younger, if you're in your early 20s, what's the standard question that you get? Where are you going to school? And I've talked to young adults who are frustrated by that question because so many people ask if they're not going to school. Like, I'm not, I'm, and it seems like they're less, right? It seems like they're less. So that's the standard group. Second group of people are the deep people. That second question, for some reason, they just want to go like to the depths of your life. Tell me about your life. What do I even do with that? Like how much time do we have? Or, or if you're 15, right, and then someone comes up to you and they're deep, what are you going to do with your life? They're 15. They don't know what they're doing this weekend. <laughs> right? The, those deep people. And then the, the third group of folks... I call them the probers. If you're, in, if you're in any of these groups, don't feel judgment, the probers. Sometimes the probers can be a little creepy because that second question are questions like, um, you from around here? <laughs> you married? How many kids you have? Who are you, dude? Why are you asking me those questions, right? The prober. Now, I'm, I'm sort of playing here a little bit, but the answers to those questions, what's trying to happen is to get some sense of who you are. Who is this person? And I would argue that that question in the way that we answer, it's just a small slice of who we are. It's not our full identity. Or is it? 
My, my generation, I can remember my dad, and I, I've struggled with this, uh, but my generation tends to identify people with their jobs. It's their identity. Have you, raise your hand if you've met someone like that or you're like that, right? It's pretty common where people's identity is wrapped up in their job. That's their life. That's who they've identified themselves are. It shapes them. When I meet younger people, more often than not, what I'm hearing is when they introduce themselves or when they talk about their identity, their identity is described as what's happening in social media or something from their friends or their gender preference or their sexual preference or some sort of condition that someone's labeled them with. I even, it's just happening just a little bit, but I even now hear people introduce themselves. Hi, I'm, and they give a name, and then they give a descriptor of one of the things that I just listed. And those things, whether it's jobs or sexual preference or any of those things, I would argue that those things in our life really are like, they're like chapter eight of our life. Like I've lived a full seven chapters before I came, became a pastor of a church. So that's not my full identity. We, we've lived a full life. But what happens when we make our identity our job or the current social justice issue or the current presidential election, whatever. When we make our identity that, when the next chapter of life comes upon us, we struggle. We struggle with things like, well, who am I now? Because the world changed. Because I retired. Because I'm out of school. Because whatever the world says is important anymore isn't important anymore. And really, who am I? It's that core identity that I want to talk about today. Not the chapter 8 stuff, the core identity. And just for, just for clarity, the definition of identity is this. It's the distinguishing character or personality of an individual. And I'd argue that some of us don't have a firm grasp on that characteristic in our life. And that we struggle and we ask ourselves, when troubles in life happen, we ask ourselves, who am I, really? So I wanna put that question up. I want us to wrestle with this. Who are you? Really, not what you post on social media, not your job title, not your family. Some of you identify like your whole identity is wrapped up in your kids. I want to know deeper than that. Before that chapter came into your life, who are you? It's a big question. I think we ask it more often than we realize. Now we can go to scripture. There's, there's great scripture all throughout the Bible that talk to us about identity, who we are. Genesis 1, very beginning of the Bible, it says this, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. That's an identity passage. That's really clear. God created us, and he created you male, or he created you female. That's very clarifying. That touches our identity. Or this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new 
is here. I've read those verses before, and they are great, great verses. But what, after reading some of those verses, after studying this, I really want to have a practical identity in Christ that I can understand and walk out every day. I really want to be able to answer the question, who am I? What's my identity? I think it's a fundamental part of being a Christian. And as we talk about that, as a reminder, we're in this series, and the series is titled, This New Life, Bringing Clarity to a Walk with God. Now, if you didn't listen to pastors, I'm not saying this because Pastor Mark is in the room either. Uh, If you didn't listen to last week's message uh, from Pastor Mark that kicked this series off, it's an assignment. You have to go listen to it because it is a great message on what it means to be a Christian. And to give a little context, when Pastor Mark, I don't know if he shared this last week, but the reason we're sharing this, it's, it comes from the book of Acts, and Peter is in prison, and he miraculously breaks out of prison. God helps him get out of prison, and, and the angel of the Lord stands beside Peter and says, hey, go, tell, go stand in the square, tell everyone about this new life. It's like, it's so important that we have these fundamental truths of who Jesus is and who we are as Christ followers. Go tell everybody about it. And so that's what that series is. And the title of my talk today is A New Identity, Realizing Who We Are as Jesus Followers. Last week, Pastor Mark talked about what it meant when Jesus died on the cross and the veil torn and we have access to God. It's an amazing message. And I hope to dovetail now that we have access to God, what's our role as Christians in that? So that's my hope today, to have some practical things on a new identity. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. I'm only going to share one verse, which is a little odd, and it's one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Now, Peter, who wrote this, this letter, wrote it to Christians who had been rejected and pushed out of cities, and so they were on the run in other villages because of the persecution that was happening. They were trying to figure out, how do you do this Jesus thing? How do you follow Jesus? And the rulers of the day didn't like what they were doing. They were rejected, dispersed. They were all over the place. So Peter writes them this letter. And at the beginning part of the letter, he's giving them instructions. But in chapter 2, it's like he slows things down and starts speaking to their identity, who they are as Christ followers. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's the verse that we're going to focus on today. I'm going to read it again because it's only one verse. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. In that verse, there are some really good things that I have learned about my identity that I think can be helpful in a noisy world. But before I unpack those, let me pray. Will you pray with me? So God, I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds to your message God, there's uh, so much temptation for us, for me, 
to alter my identity and whatever the world says we should be following or doing. So we need your help. We need your help, God. Even if we know who we are in Christ, would you use this message as a reminder? We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Back to the program, a couple of fill-in-the-blanks that will help us not take too many tangents. The first thing I see is this. My new identity means I have been chosen. I've been chosen. It might be an odd way to think about being chosen and how that relates to identity, but let me kick it off this way. Isn't it great to be chosen for something? Isn't it great to be chosen? I can remember applying for a college uh, years ago and like three, four, five months later getting a letter in the mail that said that I had been accepted to that college. And it was like I was chosen. Like, I can't believe this. This is amazing. I get to go do this. I still have that letter framed in my house. It's like a sense of belonging, like they paid attention to me. I was chosen. Have you had one of those moments where you were chosen for something? Maybe it's a sports team. Somebody chose you to be on the team, or you applied for a job, and somebody chose you for that job. You feel a sense of belonging, like they, they know me. I know a few people who have been adopted And the way they describe generally the adoptive parents is so beautiful. Like here's these people who had no idea who I was. They didn't have to do what they did and they chose me. And what a sense of belonging. Now they belong to a family or maybe a spouse. If you're married, your spouse chose you. How cool is that? But conversely, have you ever had a time when you weren't chosen for something. Maybe you weren't chosen for sports or a job. Maybe your friends recently went out without you with another group of friends. You knew everybody because you saw the post on social media and you're like, why didn't you invite me? You feel a little rejected. Or maybe if you were married and your spouse decided that they were done and you ended up in divorce, it's just that sense of rejection. It's the incredible trauma can come from that. In 1 Peter, Peter is writing to believers who had been regularly rejected enough that they had to run away to different places. And when Peter writes them, he says this, but you are a chosen people. You're chosen. Now, this isn't just Peter dreaming this up. This is a theme all throughout Scripture. If we look at the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, God says this. He says, I provide water in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland, to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. You're chosen. Jesus comes, it's the book of John, chapter 15. He has people that are following him him around him. And he's talking, and he says this in John 15. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I don't know about you, but if I've been following Jesus, this could be a confused, no, Jesus, I chose you because I'm following you. And he clarifies, he's like, no, 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 no. I chose you first. First. 
Even later in Scripture, the book of Ephesians, it says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You're chosen. Being chosen is this gigantic reminder that God the Father looks down on you and says, no matter your mess, your circumstances, your life situation, whatever chapter in life you are, I choose you. You can write this down. My accomplishments don't qualify me to be chosen by God. That's a lot of fill in the blanks. I'm going to give you a second. My accomplishments don't qualify me to be chosen by God. This is so not the world. The, the world would have us strive to get the next title, strive to try to get affirmation for something, strive to get some title that the world's trying to put on us or that we think that we need. And that's exactly how we get into identity crises because we strive for things that God already looks down and says, stop it, I chose you. Thank you. Let me say it a different way. Some of you have been fighting way too hard to get something, to get affirmation for something that you believe and you feel so strongly about. You've made it my identity and people aren't affirming that belief. They're not following you and you're just in strife wondering, what's my self-worth? Doesn't, don't people get this? But here's some clarity. Galatians 1.10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I'm still trying to please these people, I would not be a servant of Christ. The reality is we need to stop trying to be chosen by other people and realize that we are chosen already by God on high. That's a good identity message. That could stop us from the next storm that crosses our path. Now just to bring significant clarity in the room, you can, you can be chosen but still decide not to follow. So when I got a letter from the college that said I was accepted, I still had to go to class and still do pretty well. When my uh, wife, Anne, 25 years ago, agreed to choose me for her spouse, still now, 25 years later, I still have to uh, imperfectly show up and do husband things. I still have to be nice and be married and love her well. So even though you're chosen, you still have a decision to follow what he chooses you for. He's inviting you. He chose you. Jump in. The water's good. My new identity means I've been chosen. The other thing I see in the scripture today is this. My new identity means I have a purpose. I have a purpose. First Peter 2.9, you're a chosen people. I love that. Thank you, Lord. A royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. So Peter's throwing out this title, royal priesthood. And just to be clear, Peter's not throwing this out randomly. He's not, you know what would be cool? Let's call everybody priests. Wouldn't that be awesome? No, he's not doing that. Throughout Scripture, there's this theme that people who follow God are priests. Let me give you an example. Exodus 19, 5 through 6. Now, if you obey me, God, 
fully and keep my covenant that out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Everybody say priests. Let's do that one more time. Everybody say priests. Many references in Scripture to followers of God being priests. At the end of Scripture, book of Revelation, it says it this way. You have, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. Just a con quick confession. I've known for many years, when I started following Jesus, that I was chosen, that I had an eternal place in heaven. But my title was not the title of a priest. I would adopt the title of whatever my job said I was. But when my job changed, then I would have to struggle with who am I really until I got my next job. But the good thing about this title, being a royal priest, is no matter what you're doing, no matter what season of life, that title doesn't change. You're a royal priest. You're a priest. How cool is that? You're a priest. Is there someone in the room thinking, what does that even mean? Like, I really, I love making Scripture as practical as I can. And so when I read that, I struggled with, what is, so do I get to marry people? Right? Do I go buy a, what do I do? What is a priest? And so I really want to spend a little bit of time of what it means to practically be a priest because we're about ready to move out into a noisy world and I want us to know who we are because it can be helpful. So a couple of fill in the blanks. Practically being a priest means, are you ready for this? I carry the presence of God. I carry the presence of God. Oh, it's a big thing. Old Testament, priests would have to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Had the presence of God within it. God would say, hey, you need to go over here. And so the priests, and only the priests, could take the Ark. They would carry the presence of God to the next place. That's the role of a priest. And that role does not change after Jesus. We're not carrying around an Ark and a Covenant anymore. Look what we're doing. Here's a scripture, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you receive from God. We're presence carriers. So whether we're in the car or at the bar, this is like a Dr. Seuss thing, or in the, <laughs> or in the shower, or at work, or at home, or at school, you are carrying the presence of God, which means for some of you, you're following Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit inside you, you have the presence, and so when you sin or do something wrong, you feel that conviction, that's because the presence of God is inside of you saying, stop it. But it doesn't just mean being convicted by sin. It can be incredibly helpful in just normal everyday life. Let me give you an example. A few months ago, I met with a gentleman who doesn't go to the church, but he's a Christian, and he wanted to go to lunch with me to talk about, can we still hear from God today? Does God talk? Now, just, just for clarity, if you have questions about, does God still speak today, email me, steve at the vineyard.org. We've got a workshop. Yes, he still speaks today. Anyway, we're, we're at lunch. We're having this great conversation as presence carriers in the middle of a restaurant across from one another. And so I, I say, you know what, Let, the server's not there, took our order, and I said, hey, let's, uh, let's pray for our server to see if God want, may want to share something with her. He's like, really? Yeah, let's do it. So we pray just really quick. 
uh, God, is there something that our server, you want to say anything to her? And we listen, and he looks at me and goes, well, I, I think maybe I had some sense of some kids. Okay, that's great. And I told him when I prayed, I saw a picture of a leg with a shackle near the foot. And he's like, oh, that's great. And I said, now we're going to share it with her. He's like, no. <laughs> no way. I'm like, yeah, we're going to do it. And so the server came back, and generally when I do this, I'm like, hey, this may, this may make no sense at all, but while you were away, I, we were praying for you specifically, and we think that we might have something encouraging. And so when he prayed, it was kids, and when I prayed, weird, like, leg shackle. And she closed her order book, and she literally pushed me down the booth, and she sat down beside me. We were shoulder to shoulder, and she's starting to tear up, and she says, I have kids I can't remember if it was her husband or her boyfriend was at home on house arrest. He had a shackle on his foot and they were struggling financially. How do you do this thing? We were presence carriers. Like in the moment, she felt seen and loved by God and we were able to pray for her and help her. That's what presence carriers, this is not some fun parlor trick. You are presence carriers. You are a priest. Whatever context that you are in, God speaks and you can help people. Amen. Next thing, practically, priests. I seek God's will for my community. Priests in the Old Testament sort of literally, stood between the community of people and God. So the community of people, they would do something bad. The priest standing before God would have to make a sacrifice. Community of people had questions. The priest would seek the will of God for the people. That's what a priest did. That was the role of a priest. So as Christ followers today, as priests, it's not dissimilar. And if we would get this, I think it would be really super important because our world is crazy. And it seems like right now the community is fighting amongst itself who has the loudest voice. And the loudest voice is yelling, trying to argue everyone else into their position. And it's exhausting. And as priests, we have to do something different. Colossians 2.8 gives us this reminder. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Hollow and deceptive philosophy. That is what's happening in the world today. You name the topic. Politics, the community is arguing about it. Who's right? Who's wrong? What policy's right? What policy's wrong? COVID, all the COVID details, mask, no mask. Vax, no vax. Booster, no booster. Like it's the loudest voice, they're just, and as priests, we don't get caught up in this, we stand in the gap and we look to God as the moral compass and we say, God, the community's confusing, I need to know what's right. And that's who you follow. Not this. God is our moral compass. Unshakable, will always point you in the right direction. And it's not pointing just you, but now it's our responsibility in our communities family, school, work, friends, 
to help point them in that direction as well. Because what happens is when we do this right as priests, the community starts to realize it's really noisy, but they see you at peace. And they're like, you're different. What is going on? And you get the ability to say, yeah, I'm different because my moral compass isn't this. It's God. And he's pointing us in the right direction. Let's go that way. That's our role as a priest. We seek God's will for our community. Last one, third thing. Practically as priests, I take action. I take action. Priests in the Old Testament, community would mess up, and so the priest would literally have to take action on behalf of the people. They'd, they'd have to sacrifice an animal. They'd have to do something. So now, 1 Peter 2.5, this is after Jesus, says this, you, you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Look at this, offering spiritual sacrifices. So as priests, we still have to offer sacrifices. And so I've, what I've asked some folks to do is we actually are pulling the bus out, uh, and we're all going to get on the bus, and we're going to go to a sheep farm, and we're going to go sacrifice some animals. No, we don't have to do that anymore, right? I'm joking. But we do, the scripture says that we have to make, we have to make spiritual sacrifices. What does that mean? Well, it, I love scripture. Hebrews 13, 16 says it this way. Do not forget to do good and share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Do good. Share with others. It's Jesus' message. Read the Sermon on the Mount. That's like summarized in those two things. Do good, help others. Those are your sacrifices. That's what we're supposed to do as priests. A couple of people, I want to just quickly share this. Todd Zeiger, this is a picture of Todd. Todd uh, Zeiger, I've, I've gotten to know him fairly well, and over the course of the last year, what I've recognized in Todd is he's really become aware of his identity in Christ. Forget his job, he has a really cool job title. Forget the job title. He just knows who he is and he felt led by God to help widows to the point that he started a ministry to help widows. Didn't have a title from a church, but now he's helping widows and 24 Hours to Love Our City that we do at church partnered with him to do great things. It's, he's taking action. Another example, just this last week, I taught high schoolers in the WAVE. We do a midweek uh, high school, middle school program. So I was able to teach the high schoolers how to hear from God. Didn't call them priests, didn't what, but now I'm aware of at least one, I think maybe two, high schoolers that are going into their high school and praying for their high school and praying for other people because they want to take action. They want to do something different. They want to follow what Jesus says. They're taking action. That's what we're supposed to do as priests. So all three of these things, carrying the presence, seeking God's will for the community, taking action, can be done in any context in life. You can be a neurosurgeon, a barista, someone retired, someone in high school, middle school, doesn't matter who you are. You can be male, you can be female. You can do every one of these things. And I would argue, when we get this right, when we believe, no matter what the context or chapter of life that we're in, that we are chosen for a purpose then anything in life can come along and we're going to be okay. I'd also argue that we will see God move more because we're out of his way and we're doing what he calls us to do. Which, when that happens, and like some of us, God, would you move in this area of my life? And I wonder how many times and he looks down and says, Steve, get out of my way. Just get out of my way. Do what I tell you to do and I would move. And when he moves, I can't help but declare He's amazing. 
which is exactly what the scripture says. If we go back to 1 Peter 2.9, look at this. It says, but you're chosen, a royal priesthood, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him. When we get this right, we see God move, and we cannot help but to declare his praises. That's our identity in Christ. That's who we are. My new identity means I have been chosen and I have a purpose. Why don't you stand? We're going to move into a time of prayer. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.